0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Vetsplanation Staff Edition. Uh, I hope you liked hanging out with Dr. Z the last two weeks. I thought she had some really great information for everybody. There's a lot of things that I didn't know about, especially like things about health certificates and also about diabetes management stuff as well. So today we are going to dive into the invisible world, and that is fascinating as it is complex. Uh, We're actually going to be demystifying the world of x-ray machines. I'm sure a lot of people are like, why do I need to know about the x-ray machine? I just put the dog on the table and take an x-ray. Like, why do I need to know any more about it? So there's a couple of reasons. One, I'll tell you this is actually the first thing that got me into wanting to be a veterinarian, actually. So when I started taking x-rays, I actually had to learn how to make my own um, sheet. Like, you have to put how much of every single piece, and we'll talk about all these things, every single a little button I had to like fine-tune to every patient. And so I started making a chart on my own on what the best buttons, where they were, best measurements for things were, based on the way that we got x-rays. Because I actually was from the era of when you would dip the x-rays in these little tubs and you would develop these x-rays that way. That's literally the first exposure I had to x-rays. And then came the era of us having our x-rays that then you didn't have to dip, but it would actually just come out on the plate and then you could put it up on the screen. And it's those those black film things. And then now we're in the era of doing digital x-rays. There's just so many things that have happened from when I first started as a, an assistant all the way until now that has happened in the world of x-rays. But the machine itself mostly has stayed the same and i don't know if you've ever thought about like how do you push a button and suddenly this light then takes this picture and how do we get and how do we change things so one i think that it's really powerful for you guys to know how these things work you can help adjust things you know how to fix things if you need to fix your x-ray machine to make a better image but also like Let's say you are up for a promotion or you want to earn more money or you want to go get a new job or something. If you are competing with everybody else who, who just goes to the management and says, I should get a raise because I like animals. Literally every other person likes animals, right? Every person who wants to be in this industry should be a person who likes animals. You want to be the person that stands above everybody else by showing how smart you are. And listening to these podcasts really helps with that because you have a better understanding of these diseases, of things that are causing them, how to talk to people about it, and learning how to fix the x-ray machine in the sense of like how to fix your images is another really powerful thing because if you take really great images, you're going to have less doctors asking you to retake your images, and you're going to get better x-rays or better radiographs so that way you have people who are really impressed with you, right? So I do think it's really important to learn about the x-ray machine. All right, so let's talk about like how all these, like this x-ray tube and everything works here. We're going to dive right into this. First of all, we're going to talk about what x-rays are. Does anybody know why they're called x-rays? It's a weird name, right? What is an x-ray? It's actually derived from the mathematical representation for the unknown quantity x. It's like when you did algebra, and they said solve for x. 2x plus 3 equals 7, and you had to solve for x or something, right? That's what it came from, because they had no idea what this was. They just knew it was some weird thing that was happening. Uh, so it's really like they were named because of the nature of what they were, because they were initially unknown. So it was like the unknown x. They were ac- actually accidentally found by a professor, his name is William Rottingen, in 1895 when he was like testing this tube he called it a cathode tube and he found that every time he would use it that this green light would come out from it and it would make a shadow of whatever was in between the wall and that cathode on a wall like he would make this shadow of it that was com- permanently there it's not something like you would just make a shadow like a light if you took everything away that shadow was still on the wall wasn't really sure what was happening. He would try to cover it with black paper and it would still come out. He would try to cover it with other objects. And lots of times it would still come out of this cathode. So he had no idea what this was. He just knew that he could use this to take images of things. And originally it started out with like images of just objects. And then eventually he started using it of images of people. So he would put his hand in front of it and be able to see all the bones in his hand he would put his p- other parts of his body in it and just realize that you could like see all of these things in the body that you wouldn't normally be able to see. Super cool when you run across this random thing that we use so often now, right? So now, fast forward to today, we know that what X-rays are actually a type of electromagnetic radiation similar to light but with much higher energy. Let's break down real quick what electromagnetic radiation is. Electro means electricity. Magnetic means that you have a magnetic pole. Just like the positive and negative sides of a magnet, if you put two magnets together, the positive and positive together will will try to go away from each other, but a positive and a negative together will try to attach to each other. Radiation is a form of energy. So if we put all of that together, that means x-rays are an energy that flows a certain way due to electricity and magnets, essentially. All right, so let's just summarize that little piece right there. So X-rays, they're actually electromagnetic radiation. They have an energy level that's much higher than light. And originally their nature was just unknown. That's why we call them X-rays because they have this unknown ray of light. Now let's talk about like how X-ray machines actually function. It's really interesting to think about like how these ordinary machines transform into a superhero entity capable of x-ray vision, seeing through objects, right? So the answer actually lies in the x-ray tube, which is a component of the x-ray machine where the x-rays are actually produced. So that x-ray tube is that big tube that's above the patient. If you look at it, look above the patient, you see a light coming out from it and there's this giant tube that's above it. That's the x-ray tube I'm talking about. So an ray tube, it contains two things. that are called electrodes. Electrodes, and, and I'm going to break this down to simpler terms in just a bit here, but electrodes are basically like an electrical conductor where electricity can enter or leave. So basically like in our big tube, um, it's where the electricity is going to leave from. The, there are two electrodes. One is called a cathode and the other one is called an anode. So before I lose people, I'm going to give like a simpler version or explanation of kind of what cathodes and anodes and stuff are. All right. So if you think about a baseball game, you have your pitcher and a person who's up to bat, the batter, right? So the pitcher, I'm going to name him cathode. So cathode throws the ball as hard as he can so that he can throw it to the batter, right? The batter, I'm going to call anode. So cathode, pitcher anode batter. The anode is going to hit, or the batter is going to hit the ball as hard as it can out of the field or out of the park or down the field. But their goal is to hit that ball as hard as they possibly can, right? This is a, this is very simply actually like what the process of what's happening inside that x-ray tube. So the cathode, aka the pitcher, heats up. So he's like ready to go, ready to throw that ball. So, cathode is getting ready. He emits an electron, meaning he throws the baseball and this really, and he throws it at a really high voltage. So, meaning that baseball is going really fast towards that batter, right? That draws the electrons or that ball, baseball, towards the anode or the batter. So, now we have your cathode is throwing the baseball or throwing the electron as hard as it can at the batter or the anode. And then once that baseball now hits the anode or hits the baseball bat, it creates huge explosion, this big collision. And when that happens, that actually forms an x-ray. So that x-ray then gets is like the baseball getting tossed wherever it goes based on where they hit the ball. So that's essentially what's happening in our SETAR X-ray tube. We have one portion that's throwing an electron over to the second portion. And that second portion, it hits so hard that it creates an x-ray and that x-ray then goes down the tube into where your light is. All right. Hopefully that made a little bit of sense. So again, I'm just going to summarize that. So x-ray tube, it's very crucial for our x-ray machine to actually function. Inside the tube, we have two electrodes, the cathode and the anode. The cathode admits or throws electrons when it's heated up. And the high voltage is what draws the electron towards the anode. So throwing that electron real fast goes towards the anode or the batter. The collision between that baseball and the bat or the electrode and the anode creates this really high velocity object, which we know as x-rays. All right. So let's talk about like how we've like made an x-ray and that x-ray is going to go to our patient now. So when that happens, we're converting these x-rays into images. That is like our next step. So x-rays, they pass through the body and interact with the detector plate. So that's that plate that's at the bottom of your x-ray machine. That is the target. So that's where we want them to go. So this means that the x-ray is going to come through the area that shows where that light is. So when you're looking up at your x-ray tube and there's that light with the collimator. All of those x-rays, or not all of them, there's a bunch of x-rays that stay inside, but those x-rays, the goal is to get them through that light. When they pass through that light, it's going to go down through the patient, and it's going to hit the plate that's underneath the table. Different body structures have like varying degrees of radiation and absorption. Bones, for example, they absorb more x-rays than soft tissue does. So soft tissue is things like your skin, your muscles, your joints, things like that. So that's why they actually appear white on an X ray. So just there are two reasons why this is really important to understand. But first, with bone, it's so dense that the X rays cannot travel through it. Therefore, just the outline of the bone is there. So anything that's black on an X ray, lots on a radiograph, lots of X rays have gone through that area. They can penetrate through, they can go through and hit that plate. Anything that's white, on a radiograph, means that the x-rays could not go through it. It had to go around it, or it had to bounce off of it, or it gets absorbed into that bone. So that's why white things show up really well, because all of the x-rays are absorbed into that white thing. That's so we can see very clearly the outlines of them from all the x-rays that have gone around them. If there is black, like I said, that means it's able to travel through that part of the body really well, And is able to hit the plate. So if an organ is really dense, then less x-rays are going to be able to travel through it, and it makes it look more gray. So really black, tons of x-rays can travel through it. Gray, not as many x-rays can travel through it. White, no x-rays can travel through it. So think about the lungs, like they're full of air, right? So you should be able to easily get x-rays through the air. And that's why they become really black when we look at the lungs on a radiograph, because all of those x-rays are able to travel through those lungs. The second reason I'm going to talk to you about in a minute, so let's just keep that in the back of our head as to why it's important that bones actually absorb x-rays. So let's recap on this portion, though, real quick. So x-rays, they interact with the detector plate, that plate that's at the bottom of your x-ray machine, to create an image. The body structures also absorb different types or different amounts of radiation, and bones appear very white on an X-ray because of that high radiation absorption. All right, next we're going to talk about safety. I know this is not people's favorite topic, but it's super important. X-rays are very useful, but they can also raise some big concerns about safety. We don't quite have the the capabilities that that human radiographers do. They just have to put a, put a lead sheet on somebody, tell them to stay still, and they walk away. So the, anytime we can do that for a pet, like when they're asleep, the best thing to do is to walk out of that room so that you don't get any radiation. That's the easiest way to decrease your radiation exposure. But that's not always possible, right? We don't want to sedate literally every single pet that comes through there for x-rays. So now our next best thing is to try to just try to help protect ourselves. So, you know, with just going through these meticulous safety measures, that's the best thing that we as veterinary professionals can do. So remember when I was talking about the cathode or the pitcher throwing the ball or the electron at the anode or the batter, right? So cathode throws the electron to the anode. The anode hits the ball or the bat hits the ball and it makes this huge collision so powerful that it makes this x-ray right? If you remember this from a couple minutes ago. So now that batter or anode, I didn't say where he was going to hit the ball. He just hits the ball, right? He could hit the ball anywhere. It depends on how that that baseball hits the bat and how that batter uses the bat to hit the ball as to where that baseball is going to go. It could go behind him. It could go to the left, to the right, out of the park, in front of him. It can go literally anywhere. So we have to remember that it's not an exact science as to where these things go. If I trained somebody and said, hey, batter, you have to hit this ball exactly down the center of the field every time. He's going to get better at it. It will still mostly go down the center of that field, but it's still going to go off to the right and off to the left and too short and too far. There's no way that the batter could hit the same ball every time to the same exact location. And that's the exact same thing that happens with these x-rays. So you have x-rays that kind of come out of your collimator and they bounce around all over the place. Some are going down at a diagonal and some are going straight down and some going really slanted. Like they go all over the place, which does help us because the fact that if you have x-rays all over, that means that we have x-rays all over our picture. But that also means that we have some detrimental things that happen as well. Those electrons are and those x-rays are just flying everywhere. That means that we have something called scatter. That's where the electrons come out of the machine and it hits not in the place that it's supposed to, hits outside of that light, and then outside of where we've collimated it to, and bounces off of the table and then flies up towards you. So that's what scatter is. So we don't want that to happen as much as possible. That's why. Collimating is really important. We'll talk about that again in just a minute. But that scatter is the thing that's super dangerous to us. So, also remember how I said bones absorb all those x rays. So, no x rays can pass through it. It's great again because it outlines like the bone of your body. But it also means that if your hands are inside that light, um, your hand is now absorbing all of those x rays. And when your body is near the x-ray machine and the x-rays are taken, your bones are absorbing scatter. So it's like bouncing off that table, hitting you, and your body is absorbing. That's why we use things like the thyroid protectors and the x-ray gown to try to help decrease exposure to all of those things. Because essentially, this means that you're getting radiation, which messes up your DNA, and that's what causes cancer. That's what cancer loves. It loves messed up DNA. So if you have messed up DNA, cancer cells are going to proliferate or become more, and now you get cancer. So we don't want that to happen. It also messes up just like your bony growth. You can get arthritis and stuff in your hands. There's lots of stuff that can happen with that. So it's super important to wear gloves even if your hand is not in the light because that's that scatter. You know, if my hand is outside the light, But and I'm holding on to the dog, that x ray beam hits the table, then it's eventually, and it's gonna hit the next closest thing to it. The next closest thing to that animal is your hands most of the time, right? So your hands are gonna absorb all of that. So, in order to like stop your hands from getting messed up, it's better just to wear gloves. Leading, you know, wearing that lead gown also helps because it decreases the scatter to your body. Think about people who have a lot of breast cancer is very prominent. We don't want to increase those numbers and not wearing a shield will increase those numbers. You know, thyroid shields are, go around your neck and it decreases the scatter that goes to your thyroid gland as well. We don't want all of that to go there because unfortunately, thyroid cancer is another very common cancer. And then lastly, your eyes also absorb a lot of scatter as well, weirdly, but it's They do make things like lead glasses, which are recommended, but they're not mandatory. The things that are mandatory are the thyroid shield, the gown, and also gloves. The, thi- the lead glasses, as far as I know, I might be mistaken, but from what I remember, glasses were not a mandatory thing. But all of these things are like designed to help keep you safe, though, right? The other thing, too, is going to be columnizing, so making your window smaller, so the light comes out in a smaller window. That's going to help with decreasing the amount of scatter because then it can hit just what we have in that window and there's not going to be as much flying around. So it's usually a really good thing to do to try to help decrease that scatter too. So that's more like me saying with the baseball player, I'm asking the baseball player to hit it down the field as much as possible, this very specific spot down the field, and A good majority of the time, he'll be able to do that once we've trained, but there's still going to be balls flying around, right? So if I can direct all of those X-rays to one specific area, that would be the best thing. So let's go over a recap about this again. So X-ray machines, they're designed with safety measures in mind, but there's only so many safety measures that X-ray machine can take. We have to take those safety measures too. Lead shields and aprons are there to help protect us from irradiation exposure and colonizing will help decrease scatter, which will eventually hit you. Let's talk about some troubleshooting things. These are the things that you can try to help make you have a better radiograph. So remember, an x-ray is that that ray that's coming from the x-ray tube, and it's hitting that plate. That picture is a radiograph. So x-rays are the actual ray that's coming out. The picture itself is a so you have to remember that radiographs and x-rays, remember I said, are different. So the x-rays are the wave of electricity that's coming out of the machine. And the radiograph is the picture of the waves that the electrons are coming from. So that's the more scientific terms for those. So let's say you've taken your radiograph and you're not happy with that picture. Let's say maybe you're doing radiograph of the back leg, and you got the bone just fine because bone's pretty good, easy to get with those x-rays. But suddenly, like, it's all black where the dog's muscles should be. Um, Unfortunately, those muscles and skin are pretty important for us to look at as well. We actually need to see those things to look for things like perforations into the body wall or perforations into the the skin, or we're looking for uh, calcification inside the, the ligaments. So they are really important for us to see. So let's talk about those buttons now and how you can adjust those things. Now that we have digital radiography, it's usually just set it up. You say, it's a dog, it's this many pounds, and I'm doing a chest. And most people don't touch anything else. And that's fine. That's a good jumping point. But you should be able to know how to fix the radiographs if they're not correct. So we're going to start with what's called the KVP. So KV refers to kilovolts and P refers to peak. So it's the peak kilovolts. Now, what does that mean, right? So going back to our baseball analogy, the KVP would be how fast that baseball went from the pitcher to the batter. So in our tube, if the cathode threw the electron to the anode, and the anode made the the x-ray, right? It's how fast that electron went from the cathode to the anode. So if the baseball player or the cathode threw a super wimpy pitch, they're just like, then the ball will likely not get knocked out of the park. It's going to go not that very far, right? The force of the pitch helps that batter hit the ball harder, which will knock it out of the park. So now back to our X-ray tube. If the KVP, so the KVP is how fast that electron leaves the cathode, with the pitcher, and hits the anode, or the batter, making it a more powerful X-ray that's being admitted. If you have a more powerful x-ray, it is, it's more powerful, meaning it's going to penetrate better into your radiograph. So you're going to have a stronger x-ray going there, essentially. Okay, so we're going to talk about like the MAS now, and then we'll talk about like how to change these things and which one is the better one to change. So the MAS refers to the number of x-rays that are being produced per second. MA technically means the measurement of a current. And then S is per second. Back to our baseball analogy. Let's say the pitcher not just doesn't just throw one ball. That pitcher throws 10 baseballs at the batter at the same time. The batter will likely hit like maybe three or four of them because they're all coming at them at one time in a, in a big circle, right? There's no way that batter could hit all 10 of them. So if the cathode or a pitcher threw more electrons to the anode or the batter, it would create more x-rays being admitted at that very moment. Now, if that batter hits three or four baseballs instead of one baseball, the chances that the chances are that they won't go where they wanted him to go. We didn't go straight down like we wanted him to. They probably went all over the place, but we have more of them, right? And they also probably won't go as far, they won't be as powerful as if he was just going to hit one baseball. All of the power that went to one baseball is now being dispersed against three to four baseballs. I kind of think of this too as a way of, if you've ever had to deal with like multiple kids or multiple dogs or cats or something at one time, it is, it takes much less energy to wrangle one kid or dog or cat than it is to wrangle four kids or dogs or cats, right? Just because we have more x-rays doesn't mean that they are the best ones for the job. More x-rays are great for doing other things and we'll talk about that in a little bit. but. If I, if I need a better x-ray, it doesn't always mean more is going to be better. You need some x-rays, right? We need some x-rays to penetrate through there. Multiple electrons and x-rays are needed to create the image. But if you just keep putting more and more wimpy electrons out there or wimpy x-rays out there, you're not going to get a better picture because of that. Because of that, actually, KVP is the more powerful setting at first. If you have a radiograph, like I mentioned before, that the dog, you do the back leg and it just shows black where all of those muscles should be, then you're throwing that baseball too hard and it is just pummeling that muscle. So if there's black where there shouldn't be black, then the x-rays are too strong. So you need to decrease that KVP in order to be able to get all of those soft tissue structures in there. If you take a radiograph and it isn't very sharp, like it's very light and you can't really see things very well, then that means you need a stronger x-ray. So you need to increase that KVP if that's the case. And that doesn't mean that it's just like the MAS should never be adjusted. So some good examples of this are like if if you're if you need to adjust for bone, let's say like you're doing the spine and you need to get a really, really good X-ray of the spine to be able to see if there's any fractures in that spine. Spines are really hard and we need to get a lot of detail. If I'm throwing an x-ray harder at the spine, the bone of the spine, it's not going to go through that bone. No matter, I could throw super hard and eventually it's just going to go through. And, but that's not going to tell me if I have a fracture, right? That's just going to essentially make it look like a fracture that's not there. So for bones, it's actually better to increase the MAS. So we're increasing the amount of x-rays that are going to go an outline around that bone. So they're not penetrating harder. We're just increasing the number that's going to go around the bone to give us a better picture of that bone. So bones are usually really good for increasing the MAS. But for things like KVP, so Things like your x-rays of your abdomen or of your chest, sorry, the radiographs of the x-rays or the abdomen or the chest are usually the better one to increase your KVP. Or if you're looking for soft tissue structures, meaning you're looking for your muscles, your organs, your skin, those are going to be that you want to change the KVP because you want to change how hard you're throwing that baseball at the picture of the abdomen. And bear in mind too that you can only go up so far. The MAS can only go up so far. So sometimes you have this giant Great Dane on the table and you can only throw that baseball so hard and you can only throw so many baseballs at one time. It's not a miracle worker, so it's not always going to work. But sometimes you have to increase both of them in order to try to get things to work better. And sometimes you have no other option than to just make it stronger, as strong as you can and try to get as good of a picture as you can and knowing that. Unfortunately, like these really big dogs, um, you're just not going to get a great image of them sometimes. And another thing that can help with like getting a good picture for you, a good radiograph, is going to be columnizing. So you already mentioned before, columnizing is making a smaller window for all of those x-rays to come out. So let's say I request just the spine again, right? If you take an image of the whole dog, yeah, that's great. I can see its abdomen. I can see its chest. But... If I just throw a lot of baseballs all over the field, I'm not concentrating on the one thing that I actually need. So I'm going to get tons of baseballs everywhere, but what I want is a line of baseballs down the middle, right? So if we don't columnize it, it's going to be harder for us to be able to see all of those details. If you focus the light just on the spine rather than the whole body, then we're going to get more. Baseballs focused only on that spine. And we're going to get harder baseballs, again, focused only on that spine. We're always going to have that scatter, but it gives us a lot more detail when that happens. And in case you're not a baseball fan, if I'm throwing all of those electrons all over the picture, I'm going to get less detail because I have tons of them scattering all over. But if I throw x-rays and electrons just at that spine, then it's going to give me a lot better detail. Columizing can be really great for that. So I do recommend you can try to colonize those things. All right. In short, KVP is how strong the x-rays are. So adjusting KVP is good for soft tissue, things like the chest, the abdomen, muscles, skin. The MAS is how many electrons are being fired, leading to more X-rays being fired. Adjusting the MAS is great for bone detail. And essentially, this is, when you cu- when it comes down to just got quality over quantity, quantity is going to be your MAS, quality is going to be your KVP. And columnizing gives us much better detail. All right. Oh, that was a lot, right? So our conclusion of all of this, these X-rays, machines, They offer like a really invaluable tool for us for diagnosing tons of conditions that we couldn't have done before because everything's hiding underneath the surface of our skin, right? But now that you know how they work and like how to keep yourself safe, I think that it would be helpful for you to be able to work in this more imaginary world of what x-rays are rather than just putting them on a machine, taking a picture and hoping that radiograph came out the best that it can, right? All right. That was a lot. I hope you understood that. Again, if I, if you have any questions about it, I'm more than happy to draw pictures for you. I can go over it again with you. I can do a, another podcast like where I'm drawing if that's easier. You guys just tell me what you like and how you are going to learn the best. Okay. And again, if you have any questions, always, like I said, email me, come find me, text me, Facebook message me, whatever you need to find me to be able to ask those questions or if you have topics or anything. I'm more than happy to do those things. Okay, all right. For my story for today, my son had reminded me of all of these things that I had happened to me when I was younger. I don't know why he went off on this tangent of it, but I was going to tell you some, of at least, one of my stories from when I was younger. I had a my very first job was actually working at a farm, like a little farm in the middle of California, which was weird because. There's just no farms in the middle of Southern California, but uh, it was like a little kid's play area. And so we had a little farm that was there, like a petting farm, essentially. So one day there was this this llama that was there and he would always stay behind this gate and you could walk over him all the time so that you can go get your stuff because like people would want to feed him. So you'd scoop some food inside of an ice cream cone and then they would buy it and then they would feed him and all the other animals with this ice cream cone. One day I had walked over him, no problem, got the ice cream cone just like I always did, went to go back over him, and suddenly he got up and freaked out, and I'm like on top of this llama, and he's freaking out, trying to jump all over, trying to get out of this cage thing. It was a mess. I ended up falling off of him, he's like stomping around, and there's like all of these kids that are there, and so everybody like leaves the farm and just leaves me be. I was like, thanks, guys. Nobody went to go tell my management or anything. So I finally get him to calm down. And he calmed down enough that he was like, okay. And I was like giving him food and calming him down, making sure he was okay. Because I didn't want him to get hurt either. And so I go and tell, I can't even leave. I have to wait for somebody to come over. So when somebody comes over to relieve me, I let the management know what happened. And they're like, oh yeah, he's been really weird lately. I don't know why. So then I go to take him that night back over to because they would go to the bigger farm area across the street so i walked them down this little path down to their little farm area and i would clean out the farm area really quickly for them and when i did that he again freaked out and slammed his whole body into me normally they just spit at you but he was so freaked out he just slammed into me and it was raining that day and i like fell right into the mud It was terrible. He ended up after that day, I think, if I remember correctly. I think that they just retired him because they weren't really sure what was going on with him. And then they just brought a new, I think we got an alpaca after that, over. And that one was nice and had no problems, at least while I was there. So who knows what happened to that llama? But yeah. All right. That's my fun story for you for the day. And like I said, if you have any questions, come find me, talk to me, email me, whatever. I'm happy to do whatever topics that you guys would like. I think guys